0: Varmt välkommen. Du lyssnar på en inspelning från internationell författarscen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern med författaren David Grossman i samtal med Andreas Norman. Mitt namn är Ingemar Fast och jag är konstnärlig ledare för litteraturscenen i detta stora allkonsthus vid Särgelstorg. Låt samtalet ta sin början.
1: David, it's a your books have always such an intelligent warmth, and uh, is carried by such a deeply humanistic voice, uh, often a very serious one. Um, I sometimes detect a smile when when I read your books to the end of the land, or. Uh, but reading your latest book, uh, A Horse Walks Into the Bar, into a bar, um, I found myself laughing out loud, and then immediately feeling a little bit ashamed uh, of laughing, Uh, later just being gripped by the sadness and desperation of of, uh, its main character. It's it's quite a departure from your last book. Uh, How how did the idea for this novel
2: arise? Mm. Shalom and uh, good evening Erev Tov. I'm glad to be here uh, for the fourth time, as I just learned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some 26 years ago, while I was writing another book, uh, the the book of Intimate Grammar, I heard a story about uh, a a person that I knew as a child. And... uh, he was somewhere in the south of Israel in the Negev and uh, someone came and told him that he has to go to a, a, funeral, a funeral in Jerusalem. And he, he somehow knew that it's one of his parents but he didn't know whom it was. And so he had to go from the Negev to Jerusalem, four hours drive, not knowing who died. And this story haunted me, because I thought, how could it be that people were so cruel and not telling him who died? Uh, And I also thought that the way people can be indifferent to the sorrow of another human being, is such an act of cruelty, but it's very sophisticated cruelty. You do not see, there is no stain of blood on the stage. There is no somebody stabbed in the heart. But it's so cruel and it can really be so devastating. And I wanted to write a story about that, about this situation. A child traveling four hours, not knowing who died on him. And of course, in the way, he starts to believe that he has to decide that it's also on him to decide who who dies, who died, and uh, then later, you know, father and mother start to quarrel and to fight in his mind and to drive him crazy. Each one of them wants to stay alive, uh, and and he becomes in a way the executor of either mama or papa. We shall not discover at the end. We shall not make a spoiler of it, of course. Uh, and his tragedy in my story, the tragedy of the, of the child, is that the one he chose, he doomed to die, actually died. And all his life he will live with the guilt of being the executor of, of his parent. Uh, and and in, in the years that came after I heard this story, every time I finished a novel I said, OK, now I'm writing the story about this child. And I tried six or seven times, and I was unable to find the right tone, the right melody, the right circumstances in which I will tell the story. And, and you know, of course, that literature is very much about the how we tell the story, because what we tell, it has been told time and again for many times in the history of storytelling. But what really makes the story now is how to tell it in, in a convincing way. And then suddenly, I had this idea that the story should be told in front of an indifferent audience, in a way to recreate the the event itself, that he suffered, that something so intimate like the death of one of his parents was given to him by a different an indifferent people. And then somehow I, I had this idea of telling it in the in the the middle of an, a stand-up comedy session in a city of, in Israel called Netanya. It's somewhere between Haifa and Tel Aviv. Uh, in a rundown place, in front of people who are totally they they really could not care less about the intimate life of the comedian and of course they they have they are right you know they came to be entertained to laugh to wash their brains as we say and suddenly they find themselves in a very dramatic and even sad and demanding situation and they don't want to be there and many of them are leaving the room one by one and then by groups uh, and only few stays, and these are the few, I always say, these are the few that we are writing books for. <laughs> <laughs> they say.:
1: <laughs> Well the, the, as I say, Dovalet, the comedian on stage, and, and then there is the, the, the person who is the narrator, in a way, of the story, Abishai the, the judge, um, a former schoolmate. Uh, who is sitting in the audience, and we are, in a ways, together with him in this awkward situation w- where we not exactly know where things are going. Um, and there is a fascinating way uh, how you use humor and how it comes into play uh, in the story. I mean, when I read about re- read the book, I, I thought about my own laughter. Um, I mean, you you tell the story of a shocking confession in a way um, yeah. and we laugh and, and it's, it's un- uncomfortable uh you 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 have doval telling jokes and then coming back to his story uh, is the laughter would you say a way to open ourselves i mean the inhibitions uh to lower our defenses in in, in the freudian sense or yeah. is it a way to defend ourselves from his story?
2: Well, probably it is both, but uh, Dovele is, is a very sophisticated stage beast. He, mm. he immediately feels when the audience are fading out. And, and he needs to bribe them all the time with jokes, you know, like as you are sitting near a bonfire and it turns off, so you throw more and more wood and branches into it to enliven it. Uh, and 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 <laughs> this creates the maybe unbearable combination of jokes while telling a very dramatic story, and many of the jokes are connected in a very subtle way to the main drama. Uh, but uh, you asked about using humor, and I, for me, humor is is really is is freedom. You know the fact that people are able to laugh at a given situation, even if the situation is horrible. Even people during the Shoah in extermination camps, they some of them were able to laugh, to make fun of the situation, of the kapo, of themselves. And by so doing, as if they have uprooted themselves from this arbitrary situation and found some room to maneuver. You know, they were suddenly they were flexible again. Suddenly there was... A, a burst of, of something totally independent and sovereign by their ability to, to laugh at the situation. And there is also the question of the joke. The joke is very interesting, if you think of it, very interesting genre of, of art, even. Uh, it's really unique phenomena. You know, if I met you in the corner of two streets in Stockholm or Jerusalem, I would not sing an aria to you, I think. Maybe. Well, maybe, yeah. You want to talk about it? I would love to hear yeah, you singing now. But, yeah. but I will tell you, you know, a Muslim, a Christian and a Jew were on a plane and the suddenly the engine stopped. And you immediately, I don't have to give you an introduction, I don't tell you, listen, I want to tell you a story, a joke. No, no? I will just start and you immediately know that I transfer you here to another reality, which is not true, not factual, not totally imaginary. It's a little story about people you don't know and you don't even care, but you are waiting to be pleasured by the laughter that you will laugh in, in the end. And, and it's, it's really unique, and even the laughter, I, I think, when I say... It. It's interesting, we, we, when we know a person and we hear him or her talking, we can never guess how he is going to sound when he laughs. As if there is a special register in our chords vocal cords that is unique mm-hmm. <laughs> for now i start to laugh yeah <laughs> behave behave, <laughs> behave <laughs> yeah yeah so uh and and it is uh, yeah it is <laughs> there is something sp- you mm-hmm. hear <laughs>
1: <laughs> everyone is trying out the laughing, yeah, yeah yeah they
2: practice mm-hmm. laughing yeah yeah,
1: yeah. i, I mean, but i'm also thinking that in here in the comedy club as you say People couldn't care less about his sad story. I mean, in a way, the humor y- is also repressive. I mean, it 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 it
2: keeps him in his little shell. I think his humor is another symptom of of his situation. The jokes he tells usually are like him. They are rude. They are aggressive. They are vulgar. Mm. They cause a kind of embarrassment uh, to the people who, who listens to it. The more his Story, the story that he tells the audience about his childhood, the more it progresses, the more his humor even becomes subtle, all his, all his talking becomes more subtle, more intimate, more personal, because he's going a process in this evening, and the process has to do both to the old friend of his, uh, Avishai, the ex-judge who, uh, Dovele, whom Dovele invited to be in the audience, uh, and he has a special purpose for this invitation. But there is also another person in the audience, and this is a very small lady, very tiny, almost a dwarf, and she is mentally challenged. And she came to the the event because she thought that stand-up is actually kind of karaoke. <laughs> and she's, she's surprised by the change, but she's more so, she's even stunned by Dovele because when he enters the stage she immediately recognizes him as a child that she knew from her childhood. They grew up in the same small neighborhood, Romema, in Jerusalem. And she looks at she she stares at him, shocked by his vulgarity and his aggression and rudeness. And he, like every perform- good performer, performing artist, he can sense in the audience of 1,000 people, he can sense the one who is reluctant to be mm. tempted by him. Mm. And and he, he spots her, and he, he does not recognize her, and he says, why don't you laugh? laugh? My jokes are not good. And the, she said, no, they are not good. They are evil. And, and, and then suddenly she says that she was his neighbor, and still he does not remember her. He erased her. And then she says, but you were a good boy. Avalaita yele tov. And these, but you were a good boy, five words, simple, naive, primal words, they crack him open suddenly. They they do to him something that nobody before has done. They just break the, the layers that he grew up, the, the scar tissue that he grew up on, on the wound of the child that, that he used to be. And because of her, because of these simple words, because she reminded him of something that he has deprived himself of, he cannot control himself and the story about his childhood burst out of him and changed the whole nature of the evening. Uh, and uh, you know, she as if she reminded him of what he could have become and mm. what he has missed. And I I think for me this book in one dimension of it is a book about people who are missing their destiny and missing mm. even their self. And I think we all know people who because of circumstances of life, because of a certain trauma, because of the pressure and expectations of their parents, of their friends, of the zeitgeist, of whatever. They deny their real self. Mm. And they teach themselves to live in parallel to the real life that they should have had. You can see people who are trapped in marriages that are wrong for them that are that are devastating for them not here of course not in stockholm but malme maybe <laughs> jerusalem no maybe Malmö. jerusalem jerusalem yeah i heard rumors yeah <laughs> or people who are trapped in the wrong profession also a profession that makes them miserable and they hate every moment of it and yet they stay there because it gives them some security and some promise for the future. And because we are human beings, we are very flexible and we can dwell and nest in the most distorted situations, we we shall, we shall may make the best of the wrong choice that we have done years ago. You see people who are trapped in the wrong uh, gender. Mm. And they stay there and they are miserable. And there are all these people and many other ways of missing their real life. There are people who are looking at their parallel life, their real life, and they they feel that the authentic real life sends pulses of pain and of sorrow Mm. and of grief because someone has been murdered, some part of your personality has been murdered by the wrong choice. And and it is so rare that one gets the chance to reunite with his real self, mm. and I think this is something that happens to Dovelle in the end of of the of the story. That
1: yeah, that the, there is a certain reconciliation with himself at the end, and and as you say, the uh, appearance of this uh, little woman uh, is uh, is a sort of a turning point for for him. It, but, but I think it's. It's not just that she is in the audience, it's also her the way, I mean, as you said, she, she talks to him all of a, all of a sudden, the authentic Dovale. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like she is, she has a different gaze or she looks at him rather, and the rest of the audience just yeah. are gazing at him uh, and expecting him to stay in this fake identity. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, uh, I, I can't help thinking uh, about the country you're from, Israel, and and that maybe there there would have been a different path for for, for the country uh, if it, if there had been a compassionate gaze <laughs> on on its society
2: or. Hmm. That's in- interesting idea. Uh, you, you know, usually I, I reject any any attempt to make to look at, at Dovalet as a metaphor for Israel. But mm-hmm. I, it's always like that. I remember uh, I, in one of my books there was a man with a broken leg, uh, called her her body nose, and and the first question I faced from an Italian journalist when it came out in Italy is the broken leg a metaphor for the broken Zionist dream? Believe me. <laughs>
1: I, w- I will not ask that question. Yeah, I'm don't. Probably.
2: I know you will not. I know you will not. <laughs> but, but uh, w- when I was talking about looking at yourself from at your real destiny or real, real, even national self, yes, of course I thought of of Israel and and the way we, as I th- I see it, went astray from what we could have become, uh, and 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 also the feeling that. There is something very Israeli about Dovolet, this tough exteriority, sometimes uh, rude and aggressive, mm-hmm. and a very tender interiority. Yes, and, and, and there are moments in the story where he becomes tender and exposed and gentle. Uh, and you also understand that maybe because of his fragility and the tenderness, he needs those layers of, of rudeness to to cover on him, <coughs> w- okay. Yeah, I
1: see. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah. I'm just coming back to the jokes again. Uh, as as I say, the 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 jokes are a way for him to keep the audience going or, or not going, staying actually, uh, but keep the interest going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the 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 the, wits, the is is a formula we all recognize and, and and but it also is something that is static i mean it's a, it's a isn't it also a, a, a an, an al- analogy to to the trauma of dovale it's 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 a it's a, it's a s- story that is sort of just static in him that doesn't change really uh,
2: and because of it the retelling of his story changes you know the the fact that he in these circumstances of the book, that he gets the chance to tell his Mm. story again. He never actually told it to anyone. Mm -hmm. It's a story that he kept for himself. And it's a retelling of something that has tormented him, but maybe has never been told out loud. And when you tell a story to listeners, that some of them are sympathetic, Mm. you also hear your own story in a different way. And this gives you a chance to be liberated from it, mm. and 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 I I, I always think of the, the function of telling our story to to new people that we know in our life. Mm. Because every one of us knows how to tell his or her story in the best way, and uh, over the years we have sharpened this expertise and. We really know how to tell a story of something that happened to us in our youth, in our childhood, how our parents have treated or mistreated us. And over the years, we we sharpened this story and, and perfected it. And, and this is our official visit card that we give to any new person that we care for, and we want to impress or to gain his sympathy and, and his love. Uh, and maybe we are not aware of the fact of how much we became prisoners of this official story, mm. how much this story is not flexible enough. And, and we tell a story that might have been actual and relevant 20 or 30 years ago, but we ourselves can be liberated from it we can be more flexible more yeah more more alive in this story we we do not have to continue to be the victims of this legislative story we might look at our parents with different eyes we might be more forgiving for our parents we might understand that also parents our parents they do have a right to have psychology You know, it's not only us who have the right for our psychology. They also have been maybe victims of some behavior that was directed at them. And and this is is something that writing stories taught me, that underneath every every human story, there is another human story. There is another layer, and another layer, and another layer. This, this, is what I call the the human archaeology, and and when when you write a story, you want I want when I write a story, I want that as many as possible of the layers. M- many of them are not even told, but they radiate themselves. They they there is a kind of radiation that, that will come from a character like Dovale, from what happened to him, from the relationship between him and Avishai, that all of that would radiate. Sometimes the radiation is contrary. It radiates contrary contents. Mm. And yet this is <coughs> what creates the wholeness of life that I wish to have in every book that I write and uh, every book that I read. Mm.
1: And uh, <coughs> in in the case of Dovale he really wants to reach out, uh, to be seen, he says, in, mm. a, in an authentic way. Um, I mean, he is in a way petrified by, by his sense of guilt and, 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 and locked into his story, uh, which has uh, sort of been uh, sort of the main story o- of his life, the, the traumatic experience in his uh, childhood when, when he is... Um, sort of forced in his fantasy to, to uh, kill one of his f- parents. Uh, so he contacts uh, uh, an old schoolmate uh, in the story, the judge, Avishai. And uh, so the judge receives one evening uh, a phone call from Dovalet uh, and, and, and the, the judge has completely blocked him out yeah has forgotten about him completely uh, and Doverle asks him to to come to the to the show in the comedy club and, and the first judge refuses to do so and and Doverle convinces him to to come uh, maybe we should uh, uh, listen to to part of of uh of this in swedish where uh the Judge Avisai is talking on the phone with his old schoolmate, the comedian Tovale. Uh, mm.
0: Jag vill att du kommer på min föreställning, sa han på telefonen efter det att han lyckats tränga igenom mitt motsträviga minne. Och vi hade erinrat oss ett par. Oväntat hjärtevärmande minnen från tiden då vi två gånger i veckan gjorde sällskap från Vajitvagan till bussen som körde mig hem till Talpiot. Han pratade om dessa promenader med stor entusiasm. Det var verkligen en riktig vänskap vi inledde där, sa han flera gånger och fnissade med en sorts förvirrande lycka. Vi gick och pratade och pratade. Det var en walkie-talkie-vänskap, fortsatte han, och mindes varje liten detalj. Som om om det där korta kamratskapet var det bästa som hänt honom i livet. Jag lyssnade tålmodigt och väntade på att få höra exakt vad han ville att jag skulle göra för honom. Så att jag skulle kunna neka utan att såra honom för mycket. Och återigen få honom ut ur mitt liv. Vad är det för föreställning du vill att jag ska se? Jag avbröt honom när han pausade för att andas. Alltså, ja, skrockar han. Hur ska ska jag förklara? I grund och botten gör jag stand-up. Åh, sa jag lättat. Det är ingenting för mig. (skrattar) Så du vet vad stand-up är, skrattar han. Av någon anledning trodde jag liksom inte att du överhuvudtaget... Har du sett en föreställning någon gång? Då och då på tv, sa jag. Ta det inte personligt, men det är någonting som verkligen inte tilltalar mig. Men ens bröt jag mig ur förlamningen som belägrat mig från det ögonblick jag svarat i telefon. Om det fanns något mysterium bakom hans önskan, kanske ett vagt löfte, att förnya en gammal vänskap till exempel, så sprack det nu, upplöstes. Stand up. Lyssna, sa jag. Jag är inte din målgrupp. Allt det där skojandet, skämten och späxandet, Det är ingenting för mig, inte i min ålder, tyvärr. Okej, okay, sa han långsamt. Det var verkligen ett rakt svar. Ingen kan anklaga dig för att vara otydlig. Missförstod mig inte, sa jag och såg att hunden spetsade öronen och gav mig en orolig blick. Jag är säker på att det finns många som roas av den här typen av underhållning. Jag dömer ingen. Alla har sin egen smak. Jag måste ha tillagt en del andra saker i samma anda. Jag minns inte allt som tur är. Det finns ingenting att säga till mitt försvar. Förutom möjligen att jag från första stund kände. Och kanske även mindre svagt. Att den här mannen har samma sorts förmåga som en dyrk. Plötsligt förstod jag att jag måste vara mycket försiktig. Men självklart kunde inte ens det berättiga mina tack mot honom. För helt plötsligt, från ingenstans, gav jag mig på honom som om han representerade lättsinnet hos hela mänskligheten i alla dess skepnader. Och det här med att ni tycker, rasade jag, att man kan skämta om allting, varje sak och varje person, allt funkar och varför inte? Så länge man bara har en liten smula improvisationsförmåga- och är snabbtänkt så kan man göra ett skämt- eller en parodi eller en karikatyr av vad som helst. Sjukdom, död, krig, allt går att förlöjliga. Inte sant. Det blev en lång tystnad. Blodet lämnade sakta huvudet- och lämnade efter sig känslan av nedkyld hjärna. Och häpnade över mig själv. Över vad jag hade blivit- Jag hörde honom andas. Jag kände att Tamara krympte inuti mig. Du är full av ilska, sa han. Jag är full av längtan, tänkte jag. Ser du inte det? Jag lider av längtans förgiftning. Å andra sidan mumlade han med falnande röst. Och en sorts vemod grepp tag om mitt hjärta. Sanningen är att jag inte är så entusiastisk över stand-up som jag var förr. En gång var jag det, Ja... Det brukar vara som att gå på lina för mig. Varje ögonblick var man är att ramla inför alla. Missar man poängen med en millimeter eller lägger in ett ord på fel ställning mening. Eller gör en rösthöjning istället för en sänkning. Och publiken svalar direkt, där och då. En sekund senare smeker man åhörarna på rätt sätt och genast särar dem på benen. Å andra sidan fortsatte han. Och först då förstod jag hur länge tystnaden varit mellan oss. Var och en försjunken i sina egna tankar. Med stand up får man ibland människor att skratta. Och det är väl faktiskt något. De sista orden sa han tyst. Som om han talade för sig själv. Och jag tänkte... Han har rätt. Det är faktiskt något. Det är en stor sak. Ta mig till exempel... Jag minns knappt ljudet av mitt eget skratt. Jag bad honom nästan att vi skulle börja om hela konversationen på nytt. Den här gången som två anständiga människor. Så att jag åtminstone kunde förklara hur jag kunde glömma honom. Hur rädslan inför att minnas en oerhörd och smärtsam sak ur det förflutna långsamt kan försvaga och radera stora delar av ens historia. Vad vill jag att du ska göra? Han tog ett djupt andetag. Tja, nu är jag ärligt talat inte säker på att det alls är aktuellt längre. Jag förstår det som att du vill att jag ska komma på din föreställning. Ja, men för vad? Varför behöver du mig där? Du förstår, det här är det knepiga. Jag vet inte ens hur jag ska förklara Det låter konstigt att be någon om en sån här sak. Han skrattade till. Alltså, jag har tänkt mycket på det här. Malt under en längre tid utan att kunna bestämma mig. Utan att kunna vara säker. Men till slut förstod jag att du är den enda personen som jag kan fråga. Plötsligt var det någonting i hans röst. Nästan bönfallande. Desperationen i en sista önskan. Jag tog ner fötterna från stolen. Jag lyssnar, sa jag. Jag vill, utbröst han, att du ska titta på mig. Att du verkligen ska se mig och efter det berätta för mig. Berätta vad då? Vad du såg.
1: So Doval, this guy f- full of self-hatred or self-loathing in a way, he, uh, he calls not just any schoolmate, uh, but he calls a judge. That's quite a severe thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> what is he <laughs> looking invite for? The judge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is he looking for? A sentence? What, what is it? he really wants. Ah, He he
2: tells the judge, as we just heard, uh, that he he wants to be seen, Mm -hmm. that uh, over the years he followed the verdicts of his ex-friend, and uh, he noticed that this judge has the ability to grasp the the human being from the roots of him or of her, and to summarize up his personality in three, four sentences. And Dovele, after years of forging his own identity of as we said living not his real self he feels that he needs that someone will look at him and will tell him what here what is the radiation that he has. Mm-hmm. You know Dovele has this idea that every human being has a kind of a unique idiosyncrete radiation that we we look at someone and we know even if we do not formulate it to ourselves intuitively we know who this person is. Is, and, and he needs the judge to give him this private verdict. Now the judge and him they were friends when they were very very young and then after what happened in, in this place that I described, in this semi-military camp in the south of Israel where both of them were sent, this is was, it's part of our education in Israel when you are 15, you are going to one of these uh, semi-military camps. I was there, I was in Sdeboker, not in Be'er Ora, and I was taught how to crawl on the ground and how to camouflage myself with branches and thorns and how to shoot one bullet of a rifle or to imitate how I throw a hand grenade, all the normal things that every normal child should know when he's 15. <laughs> And and we liked it actually. It was you know mm-hmm. to play like it was like in a movie, uh, and and then they meet uh, Dovalé and uh, Avishai, the judge to be, and Avishai. They come from separate different schools, and uh, the judge suddenly has an opportunity to see how Dovale is treated among his cl- uh, classmates and it's totally different from the Dovale he knows the Dovale he knows is a very creative innovative daring child imaginative but in order to be to be popular in his class in his in the eyes of his classmates he he pretends to be very vulgar and very cheap and, and rude and obscene and they make fun of him and they hit him all the time and they throw him from one to the other and and, and then comes this event that when they are out in the field a, a soldieress, a female soldier comes and asks who is Dovele Greenstein here and he says it's me and she says come follow me and he follows her and then she says hurry up you have to be at Jer- in Jerusalem at 4 o'clock for the funeral. And that's how he learns that someone has died. Uh, and and, and uh, Avishai, in a way, is witnessing what happens to Dovali, but he denies that he knows him. He's afraid that if he is associated with him, he will become the laughing stock of, of, of the friends. And after this event, for 43 years, they, they do not see each other, and suddenly this invitation comes, come and look at me and tell me what do you see? And maybe the judge thinks, maybe Dovalet thinks that he wants a verdict for the crime for killing one of the parents, the crime, that he, the guilt of which he carries with himself all his life. But maybe he does not want a judgment. Maybe he wants just the sympathy and the sympathizing look of the judge. And maybe the judge himself understands after a while that he becomes the accused, the, guilt, the guilty person mm. for his betrayal. But maybe there is another option. Dovalet does not accuse the judge. He does not point at him and say, you are the one who abandoned me at the, mo- the most terrible moment of my life. And because he is not accused, he has the, the inner freedom to really feel what he has had to, had to deny all his years of because if we are accused, we will become entrenched and self-defensive. But if we are not accused, we get the chance, again, to move freely within a story that beforehand had frozen us, had turned us into passive, helpless, paralyzed victims. And Doverle, by the way he tells the story, allows the judge to return to these moments and to feel sorrow and grief for these moments, Mm. but not to reject it. Exactly as Doverle, when he tells this story for the first time in 43 years, he does not feel only guilty. And and I, I, I spoke about it yesterday in an interview, that sometimes we feel guilty for something that we have done. And this sense of guilt protects us. From really understanding what we have done it 's a kind of a token that we pay. we say, "Well, we are terribly sorry, we are guilty. We really did something horrible, hmm. but we do not go beyond this sense of guilt. We hmm. do not really allow ourselves to to understand all the aftermath of what we have done. We just yeah we, prote- we we pay a tax yeah, we are guilty we it's horrible, we are guilty, but if we allow ourselves to go beyond this stone that is blocking the mouth of the well. Maybe we allow ourselves for the first time in years to really be in the situation that have frozen us, that mm-hmm. doomed our life or devastated them or turned them into a terrible direction. Mm-hmm. And then we can really feel things that have been deprived of us. And, and Dovale, in the end of the story, for the first time in his life, is able to long for the parent that he has allegedly killed to feel longing for for the person and and not only longing to feel this person coming alive again and to to be with the one that he allegedly has has killed mm-hmm. uh, so maybe because of that i needed a judge maybe because of that i needed a woman who does not understand jokes, the little woman, she's like a child. I remember myself as a child when the grown-ups around me were telling jokes. I was quite stunned because in every joke somebody is being humiliated or or hurt or insulted and everyone is laughing and only me on the carpet, not understand what is to be laughing at. and, and I I will go back to something that I said before, that Dovele needs the the way these two are looking at him. Maybe they represent his parents, a mother and a father, but this time the the right kind of parents who will look at him with sympathizing eyes. And I think that this is something, it's so basic in the story, the need for a sympathizing witness that will accompany our life. The, The wife of the judge who... Who, who, who she she died, and because of that maybe he's also very bitter and aggressive. And she told him, when she asked him to marry her, she, she promised him always to look at him with sympathizing eyes, to be head or head, to be a, a sympathizing witness to his life. And I always think that every citizen deserves such a sympathizing witness, to it, that it should be legislated by the government, that we all need someone who will look at us Because if somebody is looking at us with sympathizing eyes, with beautifying eyes even, maybe we we remember something that we we tend to forget, that we can be better than than what we really are. That there is someone who believes that we can be better, that we are not doomed to be trapped within ourselves, but there are other options to us. Thank you, thank you. I I, I think sometimes I I meet especially young people and some of them come from very harsh school and some of them are already criminal or would be criminal and you look at them and you see that they have not been looked at with the sympathizing uh, eyes. And if they are, if they are given the chance, and I believe if everyone is given the chance to live in beneficiary conditions, well, r- really, so much of our borders can be can be removed. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and like like
1: Avishai, we, uh, in reading the story, also, in a way, ha- have to uh, endure the vulnerability of Dovale. I mean, to, to, to feel that um, we're listening to, to someone, we're, we're unsure where the story is heading, and uh, avishai is is uncomfortable he wants to leave and uh but yet he he, he stays um and this is also very for me fascinating quality in the, in the story that you keep the reader unsure about where the story is going and uh, who this Dovele is, th- it takes quite a while until we actually understand where the story is heading. And I, I think that relates also to what you just said about uh, not being, not fixating a person immediately, not with a, with a gaze, reducing someone into something you already know that is familiar, that is uh, uh, something that you can put in a box, but actually open yourself to, to a yeah. person's real story.
2: Yes, because I believe in movement. Even when I write, I walk. I all the time walk. I, I think I walk some, something like 10 kilometers a day uh, because I cannot sit, and I, I need to feel this motion inside me. And, and the characters I, I describe, what I expect from them is all the time to surprise me. Mm. More than that, to betray me. You know, to take me to places that me in my limited life I will not dare to go. I say to betray me, and now I think of it, maybe they are more loyal to me than I dare to be. Yes, but uh, they, they should take me beyond my boundaries and, and my, my limitations. And as I said, to surprise me. And I like this feeling. When I do this movement, I suddenly, I remember I once wrote a play. That is called uh, Rit- Ricky Kindergarten uh, Children, something like that. It's about nine children in a kindergarten for two days, and what happens to them in these two days? They, are, they were played by grown-ups, but after five minutes, you forgot when you saw the people. You, you immediately saw the child, the very active child that was in every one of the actors, and and I, when I spoke with with the the. The actors, when we started the rehearsals, I said, one of the things that characterize a child is that he doesn 't know what his next step will be he 's all the time attracted and magneted by reality and reacted and he he everything is unexpected, everything is new, everything is not formulated. Nothing has been congealed yet in this age. This is what is so fascinating about this age and and I, I look at myself and I look at us." and i think how tragic it is that we become all congealed children you know that we don't have this ability of free movement within ourselves that i know you know after a certain age we do congeal we do become one we have one body we have one or two languages that dictate the way we are formulating the world we have one worldview one gender mostly we have one circumstances of our life and and I think the great pleasure of writing for me is the ability to move freely, you know, between the man I am and the woman I could have been, the the same person and the insane, if you want, between the Israeli and the Palestinian. Yeah, to become my enemy sometimes, to as a, as a Jew to write about a Nazi commander of of extermination camp too, to experience this the the pleasure of this free floating between. All the options, Be- because in every one of us there are so many more options than the options that we use, that we make use of. We we doom ourselves to a kind of narrowness. Mm. Now, when when you write, you get this ability to free float, to mm. experience, to explore all all these other selves that are inhabiting, inhabiting or that are. Inhibiting. Populating you, yeah, mm. yeah. and and you, you can be them, you can become them. I remember when I was writing uh, the the woman who escapes the news uh, to the end of the land. It's called in English Ishab Ahad Mibzora, and and the main character is a woman. It's Ora, and and she she is a very typical Israeli, very authentic, I think, character. And I was unable to write her for two years. I struggled with her. I I thought I had her and I I had not. I thought I understand her and I I did not. So, I was so desperate in the end and I did what every normal citizen would do in my situation. I sat and I wrote her a letter. Just a letter, not mail or something. Just a letter telling, come on, why why do you behave like that? Why don't you collaborate with me? Why don't you surrender to me? And then, you know, before I got to the, the end of the first page, I understood how stupid... I am. It's not her that has to surrender to me. I have to surrender to her. I have to allow her to to invade me and to populate me and to fill me with all her being, with all her femininity, just to become her, to remove all the obstacles and all the prejudices and just to melt into the option of aura inside me. And once I understood it, there she was. There mm. she, she. I just had not to interfere, which is a very difficult thing for a writer. Because we tend to impose ourselves on our characters, but the thing that I learn more and more, the more I age in my writing and in my life, is just not to interfere, to allow the characters to, to be with capital B.
1: Mm. And, and also, I mean, in a beautiful way, you, you form the language of To the End of the Land and her Worldview that the way you you view nature and uh, also how her uh, storytelling and the magical thinking is sort of keeping her going literally. I mean, walking across the yeah. the countryside. Yeah. <laughs> <her> going, yeah. <laughs> and, and also in this in this latest novel, you you mm. you invite uh, in a profound way the language of Dovale. Uh, and it's fascinating to, to, to see how, you, uh, how this rhythm develops over the pages of Dovale breathing, uh, screaming, uh, telling stories. How, how, how did you go about, I mean, how, how did you do to find the Dovale rhythm? Again, just allowing him to be... uh, But how did you show did he knock on your door? (laughs) Did...
2: I (laughs) really don't know how to answer. Uh, I just know Mm -hmm. that after a while it didn't come from the first page and I I never saw a stand-up comedy session in my life, not before Mm -hmm. and not after, never. And, and like the judge, I have quite heavy criticism about this uh, art. Mm. I mean, there are some geniuses. Lenny Bruce is one of them, and Sarah Silverman, and Amy Schumer, mm. and uh, Louis C.K. They're, they are wonderful. They are doing what a stand-up comedian should do, and this is to betray his audience in the most cruel and painful way. The art of stand-up comedy is the art of betrayal. Mm. Uh, because in the in the beginning, you, you form your audience as one collective, and you use all the the passwords of actuality, of television program, of politics, of all this, and they're all wallowing in this sentimental, self-righteous feeling of being one and being together, and understanding each other and being very self-righteous. And then the good, the the great stand-up comedian should come out of this collectiveness appear from an unexpected point of view and bite them, like a snake. This, this should be the heart of it. Mm. Most stand-up comedians are only flattering their audience and mm. flirting with them, mm. and it's, it's a missing of the, the, the power that they, they do have. Mm. But of course, you cannot be a man of our time without being exposed to stand-up comedy. It's, it's everywhere, yes, even sometimes the, the news magazine they look like a stand-up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> especially in Israel, yeah, but, but uh, no, not only not only in, in our place. But uh, I think when I, I caught the tone of his vulgarity, and I was mm. surprised how easy it was for me and how liberating it was for me, and I, I really enjoyed writing. Mm. And he's one of these characters. like like to ride a horse in a rodeo. You don't know who rides whom. I mean, he throws you out of his back, and you, you cannot get back there. He's really very difficult to trace and and, and I I followed him uh, and I enjoyed tremendously writing the jokes or inventing mm-hmm. jokes and mm-hmm. the the book now is translated I think into something like 25 languages and mm-hmm. people s- there's a, a phenomenon people send me jokes to insert in the new edition <laughs> they, they, <laughs> you, they t- you must put this joke you know uh, <laughs>
1: okay okay <laughs> <laughs> but that does the rhythm uh, and the and the jokes does it do they work in i mean in swedish do you think in polish and in other
2: languages how how do you ensure that that ha- i i just hope that i have wonderful translators like natalie lance who sits mm. here and <laughs> i'm blessed with the very very good translators and from the reactions that i hear here the translation works, and the humor travels. And even when it's not, when it does not travel, it also shows something about uh, Dovelin, his inability sometimes to to, to make people laugh. Uh, but yeah, there was a great of great pleasure, liberating pleasure in, in writing him. I already miss him.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a sweet image you you, you mentioned before that uh, as a, as a young as a young David, you you were uh, listening to the grown-ups and you didn't get their jokes. But I guess by now you have gotten most of them. S- uh, yeah,
2: well, <laughs> some. <is laughs> it, do, you, do you have a do
1: yeah. you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite you yeah. in your uh,
2: book? In the book, well. Uh, there is one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of them I, I really like. Uh, I, I like many of them, but the, it's it's the story. I, I mean, one joke is not concluded. This is a joke that starts with a horse walks into a bar. Mm-hmm. This I left open and everyone can feel it. And there are many good jokes about horse come into a bar, but I'll tell another joke. It's about the parrot. Uh, this guy, he had a parrot who was cursing like a criminal, you know, like a prisoner in jail. Day and night, he cursed. From the moment he opened his eyes until he was put to sleep, he he, told, he, he shouted terrible words. So uh, his owner, who was a very gentle, tender, and cultured guy, didn't know what to do with him. So he, he begged him, and then he threatened him. That the parrot wouldn't listen to him. So the guy, in the end, he had no, no choice. He catched the parrot. Puts him into a closet and locks the closet. The parrot curses even worse. He curses in Yiddish even now. (laughs) And the guy feels terrible that his neighbors will hear and what will they think of himself. So in the end, he opens the closet, takes the parrot, goes to the refrigerator, opens the freezer, puts the the parrot in, (laughs) closes the door of the freezer. There is a flow of filthy words coming from inside, but then after a minute or two, (laughs) silence. Another minute, the guy starts to be worried. What if the parrot gets hypothermia there? What if he dies? What God knows. He opens the door of the freezer. The parrot comes with very unsteady, trembling feet, goes up the shoulder of the owner and says, Master, From this moment on, not even one filthy word will cross my lips. The guy couldn't believe his ear. And then the parrot says, excuse me, master, what exactly the chicken has done? (laughs) (laughs) It takes some seconds to understand.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It, it is liberating. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> very nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some people, some I'm all of a sudden it. started thinking. Everyone started thinking about jokes they've heard. Yeah. I guess now. Uh, I mean, jokes can be liberating <laughs> and and compassionate also. I mean, like uh, in this scene when. Ye, the young Dovale is is taken to Jerusalem. Yeah. There's there a, there a driver. And he he tells jokes all the time. All the time. The time. Yeah. All the time.
2: He he tells Dovale that in two weeks he will be invited to the military competition for jokes telling. And Dovale believes him. And he keeps telling Dovale jokes and it, it looks like the most wrong thing to do to a child in the position of Dovale, not knowing to the funeral of whom he's going. And only years later, Dovale understands that the driver did an act of grace, because he really Mm. wanted Dovalet to to forget his misery. And and he gave him Mm. him all the time jokes that were quite funny. And they managed to keep Dovalet sane in in a way. Maybe Mm. this also has influenced him to become a a stand-up comedian, you Mm. know.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a very compassionate a thing to do to embed someone in, With in jokes, laughter and jokes. Jokes. With jokes and to sort of also to block out the 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 on incoming trauma in a way yeah. to understand the situation of this young boy um, but now you 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 you've written this book and and you say you you missed overlay already yeah so so where who are you <laughs> acquainting right now then uh,
2: I, I'm. I think I let's say there is a story that me and him uh, we befriend uh, with mutual suspicion. <laughs> I, I like the story. I'm not sure he likes me. So I'm, I'm working on him, yeah. uh, and when well, hopefully next time I come here I'll have uh, another story. Who knows? I don't know. Mm. But what I did in the last uh, last week I. Released uh, a project that I was working on for the last year in Israel. Uh, I, I was asked to write something for the 50th anniversary. We call it in Israel of the occupation, of our occupation mm-hmm. of the Palestinians. And I felt that I cannot. I don't want to write yet another article. I've written, I think, hundreds of articles mm-hmm. in the last years, and I don't want to make any speech. And I, I thought maybe a song. A, a musical song would be more effective because music has the ability to to move us in a way that maybe words cannot, and to to go under our skin. Uh, and I I wrote a song that is consists of three different songs. Uh, one is a rap song and it's sang by our number one rap team, Hadag Nachash in Israel. Mm-hmm. The second is I took part from the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah. It's kind of a comforting prophecy regarding how life of peace can look like and the last verses of it is and and the young man will die when he's a 100, when he's 100 years only. Only mm-hmm. then people will die. And the third part, uh, is about, is, is sang in the style of uh, Israeli uh, rock singer Berry Sakharov. And I, I gave the, 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 this little opera, even if you want, uh, to Yoni Rechter, is one of our most talented composer, And he worked with all these, uh, and I also worked with all these singers and all these groups, and we came a week ago, with this song that is called Yesh Matzav. Matzav in Hebrew is the euphemism that we use in order to describe all our situation. Matzav is a situation, but it has, I mean, it's the the summary of all the, 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 the years of existential fear and of occupation and terror and helplessness and hopelessness and anxieties. All these are encompassed in this one word, matzav. And, uh, well, we, we worked really hard on it, I mean, hundreds of uh, studio hours and debates and thinking, and it's it's a mixture, as I said, of three different styles. They can be sang and heard as one beat of 11 minutes, but also as three different parts of three, four minutes each. Uh, and for me it was liberating because it was a way to describe the situation mm. but with new words, not with the usual words in which we relate to the situation, but words that are combinations of words that are in a way unexpected. And because they are unexpected, they create this motion in the in the heart of, of the listener. Mm. If you want, you can YouTube them, uh, just write my name and the word yesh matzav there is a situation and there is also an English translation and an Arabic translation in it and, and the, the last poem says uh, talks about uh, the wish to raise children in the light not in any shadow not i don't want my children to cast shadow on anyone i don't want them to live in the darkness of not terror and not occupation in the light i want them in the light Mm. so songs and words in search of a
1: authentic story or a new casting new light on on the situation um maybe this this evening is uh, coming to an end, but maybe then it would be uh, such a fine ending to hear you read from uh, the book in Hebrew. Okay, I'll read. Can you tell us what what
2: passage you would like to read? Read. Uh. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wait. I, I I I want to read just for some minutes, no more than that, just to allow the Hebrew to be here, to echo here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll read from the part of Dovalet, the, the comedian. וערב מצוין גם לכם גברים, לא נורא שבאתם. אם תשבו בשקט, לכם ברמה של משקיפים, ואם לא נשלח את כולכם לחדר השני, אז, ladies, <laughs> תרשו לי סוף סוף להציג את עצמי באופן רשמי ודאי לניחושים הפרועים בנוגע לזהותו של הגבר המסתורי והשרמנטי הזה. דוב ג'י זה השם, זה הטייטל, זה המותג המצליח בכל העולם הנאור שמדרום לך צרמוות. וגם קל לזכור, דוב עלי כמו רבע אוף עלי, או כמו רואים כבר את הסוף עלי, כמו הנקודה בבת זיננו וכולי שלכן בנות טרף לפנטזיות הפרועות, הכי פרועות שלכן מעכשיו ועד חצות. ולמה רק עד חצות? אתן שואלות באכזבה. כי בחצות אני יוצא הביתה ורק אחת מכל היפהפיות שכאן, תזכה להתלוות אליי ולהתמזג גופי הכתיפתי, ללילה של מגעים ורטיקליים והוריזונטליים, בעיקר ויראליים, וגם זה כמובן רק כמה שירשה לי כדור האושר הכחול, שנותן לי לכמה שעות, בעצם משאיל לי את מה שהסרטן בפרוסטטה לקח, פתח סוגריים, כזה אידיוט הסרטן הזה, אם תשאלו אותי, ברצינו, תחשבו, יש לי כאלה חלקים יפים ומושכים, אנשים מגיעים מאשקלון להסתכל ביופי הזה, תפוח העקב שלי למשל, והוא מסתובב ומפנה את גבו לאולם ומניף לאחור בחינוניות את מגפו או הירחיים החטובות שלי או החזה המשהי או הגולש. הדגנרט הזה מעדיף להתפלש בפרוסטטות, לשחק בפיפי, מה זה התאכזבתי ממנו סגור סוגריים. אבל חצות, החיות שלי, אנחנו נעיף את הגג פה, בצחוקים, בלקת מההופעות שלי בעשרים השנה האחרונות, כפי שלא נכתב במודעות, לממיז רוק שקל על מודעה בשבילי, חוץ מאיזה גודל בול בחינמון של נתניה. אפילו פתק על העץ, לא סמו אזונות, חסכת עליי, אהבה, נשמה, לבריאות. פיקסו, הרוטווילר, שהלך לאיבוד, I know that you will recognize these words. <laughs> פיקסו, הרוטווילר, שהלך לאיבוד, קיבל יותר זמן מסך ממני על עמודי עמוד עמוד, עברתי באזור התעשייה, שחטן, פיקסו, שיחקת אותה, גמלתם מהר לחזור, תשמע ממני, באחריות. הדרך הכי טובה שיעריך אותך באיזה מקום, זה לא להיות בו, לא ככה? לא זה היה הרעיון שעמד מאחורי הקמפיין של אלוהים בשואה? לא על זה מבוסס כל הקונספט של המוות? לא, תגידו נתניה, זה לא מוטרף מה בראש לאנשים של אלה ששמים מודעות על החיות שהלכו להם לאיבוד. עבד עוגר זהוב, צולע ברגל אחת, סובל מקטראקט, רגיש לגלוטן, אלרגי לחלב שקדים, אה מה בעיה שלכם? אני בליל יכול להגיד לכם איפה הוא, שלכם בסיודית. <עובת> Thank you.
0: Thank you very much.